0: I want to. the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, because I want to see you, Lord, I want to see you.
1: Amen, Psalm 145, verse 8, 9, and 10, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. While you're standing, take a moment and welcome those around you.
2: Good
0: example for other
2: people. You
3: to be with us? There you go. There you go.
1: There you go. Seated. There we go. All right, while you're returning to your seats, if our kiddos will make their way up here. and While they're coming, let me just welcome you to Northside. If this is your first time, we are glad that you are here our kiddos are glad that they are here right kiddos sure they're not even listening that's all right they're getting ready for their children's story if this is your first time here we're glad to have you thank you for being here we would like for you to let us know that this is your first time you can do that a couple different ways you can scan the qr code in the bulletin or you can fill out the connection card out there in uh the foyer And so without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to PG, Pastor Gary. All right.
3: We're on to this chapter in... All right. So this is chapter 11 of of the story we've been going through. And this is in Genesis 28. That's right. Caleb is right on Genesis 28. All right. This chapter is called The Blessings in the Night. Sometimes, brothers don't get along. Now, I don't live with brothers. I did growing up. That's true. Big brothers pick on little brothers. Little brothers take things from big brothers or sisters. Right? There you go. Everyone ends up feeling sad, hurt, and mad. That's how things were with Esau and Jacob. In fact, things were so bad that Isaac sent Jacob back to Rebekah's hometown so that Esau wouldn't find him and kill him. Big brothers can get very angry, especially when little brothers trick them. But despite the people's sinning and scheming, God was up to something good. Jacob uh, stayed, pardon me, not strayed, stayed with his uncle Laban, and both of them got rich, which must have been nice. Jacob also got married to two women, which wasn't so nice. By the time he left his uncle, Jacob had now listen to this. Jacob had two wives, twelve sons and a whole bunch of sheep, and goats, and donkeys, and camels, and cows. God was blessing Jacob, just like he had blessed Abraham and, and Isaac, Writes. To make sure Jacob knew how blessed he was, God came to him two times in the middle of the night. One time when Jacob was leaving for Laban, and one time when he was leaving from Laban. In the first meeting, Jacob had a strange dream. Not about losing teeth or going to school without any clothes on or eating a giant marshmallow and waking up to find your pillow is gone. No, this was a dream about a ladder full of angels going up and down from earth to heaven. It was a sign that God would come down and help His people, which is exactly God promised to Jacob in his dream. This is what he said, "I am with you and will keep you wherever you go." Jacob thought this was pretty awesome. And not awesome like check out my fake dinosaur tattoo. Awesome like God is here. In the second meeting, Jacob had a strange fight. It was dark. Jacob was all alone and he was he was scared. Jacob was afraid that even after being separated for 20 years, Esau still wanted to kill him. So that night, Jacob wrestled all night. Into the morning, Jacob would not let go until the mysterious wrestler man would bless him. And Jacob won. The wrestler man blessed Jacob by giving him a new name and a bad hip. Jacob would now be Called what? Israel. Right. And would learn that walking with a limp isn't so bad if God carries us where we need to go. So after 20 years, after 20 years, after 20 years, Jacob was starting to change. Because why? Because God's promises were not. All right, boys and girls, let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you do not leave us to our own devices. Lord, we need your help. We need a blessing, Lord. We ask you to help us to see that when we are weak, through you, Lord, we are strong. So bless us, Lord, now in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen all right so we are right in the middle of our operation christmas child many of you in this room have done this before you know how to pack boxes but just in case we have new people who've never been a part of this and you wonder or maybe you have forgotten what do you put in a shoe box we got about a two and a half minute video that kind of walks you through how to pack a shoe box and some items that are really important in that process so check out this video
4: Every child who receives an Operation Christmas Child shoebox is unique and special. And that's why we think every gift that's packed should also be unique and special. When you choose to fill a shoebox with fun, high-quality items, you're sharing love with a child in a very tangible way. And you're making it possible for them to hear about the greatest gift of all, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So whether you're packing one shoebox as a family or throwing a party to pack hundreds of shoeboxes as a group, Here are some practical tips to make sure each gift is packed with love and care. A great shoebox starts with a high-quality WOW item, like a soccer ball and a pump, a stuffed animal or a doll. It's that one special toy that will really make their eyes light up. Then surround that WOW item with other quality toys that a child would love. Items like musical instruments, finger puppets, toy cars all make a shoebox gift special. Next is school supplies and personal care items. Many children don't have access to combs, toothbrushes, or school supplies like pencils or crayons and notebooks. So while we like to talk about making the box fun, adding some of these items can make a shoebox even more practical. While anonymous gifts are nice, knowing who sent them can make a gift extra special. That's why every child loves to receive a personal message or a photo from you. They really do. Your personal note tells that child that they are important to you and to God. They will cherish your photos and letters for years. And to wrap it all up, pray over your shoebox. Every shoebox gift is a unique gospel opportunity, so pray that your shoebox arrives in the hands of the right child. And pray that God will use your shoebox gift and the gospel message to help that child become a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. Every single shoebox is important because every single child is important. So I hope you find these tips useful. Please do all you can to build unique and special shoebox gifts, because together we are using those gifts to reach the unreached and to expand the kingdom of God. Now it's time to get packing because it's never too early.
1: shoe boxes out here in the foyer you'll also find there's a table there and on top of the table are some boxes and then I think there's also a laundry hamper as well that has items that have been donated so when you grab a box go through some of that grab some items put them inside the box go buy some more stuff to fill the box and then you have um until the 10th 9th of no that's not right the 3rd of December to bring those back so uh, fill those shoeboxes and then um, pray over those shoe boxes. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, just as we're going to see in First Peter, as the recipients of Peter had heard the gospel announced to them and proclaimed to them. We are thankful that we have heard the gospel announced and proclaimed to us. Lord, however that gospel was presented to us, through parents, through a pastor, through a Sunday school teacher, through... Uh, a neighbor through a gideon's bible in a hotel lord we have heard we have read and so father now that we know the gospel we are to pass on and spread the good news of jesus christ and one way to do that is through these shoe boxes because with each box in addition to the toys and the personal hygiene items and the school supplies lord will come with it a gospel presentation and that's what this is all about it's awesome to meet physical needs But Lord, you use those physical needs ultimately to make us aware of our greatest need, which is Jesus Christ. That we are sinners who need forgiveness of our sins. We are sinners who need to be raised from the dead and given new life. We are sinners who need to be made right with God, and that only comes through Jesus Christ. So Father, help us to pack, help us to pray, and may the gospel go forward in a mighty, mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand? Let's continue to work.
3: Father, we thank you for the resources that you've given us, Lord. The, a place to worship, uh, the freedom to worship, Lord. Um, for all those blessings, both monetary, um, spiritual, physical, uh, Lord, we're, we're very grateful. Uh, Lord, as we collect these tithes and offerings, Father, we pray that they would find the find the right need, that they would multiply, and they would fill that need beyond anyone's uh, anyone's imagination. Uh, be among this process, Father. Make it worshipful. Make it worshipful um, and that it's done to your honor and your glory. In Christ's name we pray.
2: I've never got over that I am not under the bondage of sin anymore. I'm still amazed that Jesus would pay a debt I could not afford. I've never got past that I'm free at last from the sin that made me a slave. And up to feel as much as when he first touched me. Oh, yes, I'm still amazed. I'm amazed. For a kingly throne and i'm still at a loss why he take the cross instead of a street of pure gold he's the only king who gave everything in exchange for a cold dark grave and i still love to ponder this god-given I'm still a man.
1: Thank you, Miss Gina. All right, at this time, our kiddos are going to make their way out to Children's Church. Both ages are going out this morning. Everybody else will take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 8 through 12. If you have your copy of God's word, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word, beginning in verse 8. This is the word of the Lord. Though you have not seen him, you love him. <clears throat> Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I don't know about you, but I am not the adventurous type. That may come as a shock to some of you. I am not the adventurous type, which means I have never really loved riding roller coasters. I remember like it was yesterday. This was probably in the late 80s. We lived in Ohio, really close to Kings Island in Mason, Ohio. and I remember the first time my dad made me ride a big boy coaster. Not the kitty ones. With the big boy coasters. It was called the Beast. At the time, it was the fastest wooden roller coaster on the planet. And so we waited in this long line and we got in the cart and the car, and, and I'm crying, like in front of all these people. My dad probably felt horrible. Like everybody knew dad was making son ride this ride. I mean, I was crying. I was not happy. I'm, I was mad. I'm never doing this again. We take off, start going up this hill. I'm terrified. We go down and through tunnels and we pull back in, laughing. I loved it. I told my dad, man, dad, I want to do that again. And so that started kind of my love-hate relationship with roller coasters, and then it was like 1999 or 2000. We came from Kentucky down to Orlando, Florida, went to Universal Studios Adventure Islands, and the very first ride we rode that day was the Incredible Hulk roller coaster. Anybody ever rode that ride? No, not awesome. (laughs) Whoever just said awesome. We started going up, right, and you're in this tunnel, and they got these lights flashing, and all of a sudden, boom, you're off. And up and down and around, and I'm thinking, get me off this coaster, get me off this coaster. And since then, since that moment, I have hated roller coasters. I have probably only been on two or three, and one of those, maybe the last roller coaster I rode, was shortly after we came here. It was the end of 2019. The students went to Six Flags. And some of the students barely knew me. They were pleading with me. So at the end of the night, I finally got on one of them. And I think it was next, I was sitting next to Hunter. I think Hunter Stanton was next to me, sitting on the ride. And I made it and I survived, but I don't, I don't like them. But that first roller coaster I rode literally was a roller coaster of emotions. From hatred, terrified, crying, to I love it. This was amazing to the Incredible Hulk where I just wanted to get off the ride. Some of you this morning if you're honest may say that your life feels like a roller coaster. And some of you want off. It is an up and down experience in your life. One day you're up, then you're down for several days, and then maybe you're up and your emotions are all over the place. And as a follower of Christ, maybe one day you would say, Pastor, I know who I am. I know who I am in Christ. And then for the next week, you're battling your flesh and you're struggling. Could God really love me? Am I really his child? Or maybe one day you would say, Pastor, I know what Christ has done for me. I know he died for me. I know he saved me. And then you're in this downward spiral where you're not walking, in that truth, you're walking in the flesh, and you're struggling with the things of the world. Or, or maybe one day you're saying, Pastor, I know what I've been given in Christ. I know I have this living hope that you spoke of a couple of weeks ago. I know this inheritance is waiting for me. But then the next week, you're just not walking in it. You're all over the place. And here's the good news this morning: you do not have to live life on this emotional roller coaster. You can enjoy the real roller coasters the ups and the downs, the twists and the turns. But in life, you don't have to live that way. Because in our text, Peter is grounding us in these first 12 verses in some glorious truths. Who you are, what Christ has done for you, what you've been given. This morning, we're gonna see he talks about salvation, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is reminding us, he's about to call us to action in verse 13, but before he calls us to action, He wants us to understand that you and I can have hope and joy and salvation as we're living in the already of our conversion and the not yet of our home going. We're in conversion. We've been saved, but we're not home yet. And so in between there, we can live with consistency and hope and joy. Don't have to have this emotional roller coaster and so i want us to look at these verses in two sections first verses eight and nine and i simply want you to notice rejoicing in our salvation look at verse seven at the end of verse seven he says at the revelation of jesus christ peter says "A day is coming in which jesus christ will be revealed he will return and praise god we will see jesus face to face amen he's coming We will see him. But then Peter writes this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. This is fascinating to me because Peter is writing as an eyewitness, a disciple, an apostle who saw Jesus, and yet he's writing to readers, recipients, who were not eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. When Peter says, you have not seen him, Peter is saying, but I have seen him. I saw him teach on the hillside. I saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. I saw Jesus perform miracle after miracle. Peter could say, I saw Jesus arrested, beaten, crucified, killed. I saw Jesus raised from the dead. And Peter can say, and after his resurrection, I sat by the fire and I heard Jesus ask. And I saw Jesus as he asked me, not once, not twice, but three times. Peter, do you what? Love me. Peter says, you have never seen him, yet you love him. Peter says, I have seen him, and he point blank asked me, do you love me? I do love him. And now Peter's marveling that there are those people who have never seen the Lord Jesus Christ, the ruling, reigning Jesus Christ, and yet they still love him. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions this morning. Here's question number one. Do you love him? Can you, with Peter and the early Christians here that are dispersed, can you say, though I have not seen him, I love Jesus. Peter continues, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. As Peter is writing this, he no longer sees Jesus in his resurrected body. Jesus had ascended to the right hand of God the Father. Yet Peter, though Jesus is no longer there in the flesh, Peter still believes and his readers, though they don't presently see Jesus, still believe in Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in John 20 verse 29, because it applied to these recipients and it applies to us. Jesus said to them, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are you, Northside Baptist Church, for you have never seen the resurrected Savior Jesus Christ in the flesh, face to face, and yet this morning you still believe. Blessed are you. So here's the question Do you believe in Jesus this morning? Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you depending upon Jesus? Are you resting all of your confidence in the person of Jesus Christ? Because listen, here's the deal. No one in this room has seen the resurrected Jesus Christ face to face with your eyes. We're saying, open the eyes of my heart that I might see. Like We can, we can see God from the heart. We can, we can see the Spirit of God working, but we have not physically laid eyes upon Jesus. We never have. No one presently this morning is seeing Jesus face to face. He's not here in bodily form. He's not here. But what did Peter say at the end of verse 7? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. So though we haven't seen him, Though we do not presently see him, Peter says a day is coming in which you will see him. Amen. And Revelation says you will see him face. You will see his face. Face to face. So no, we don't presently see him. We have never seen him, yet we love and we believe. And then look at verse 9. What does he say? Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The outcome of your faith, that word outcome means goal, aim, purpose. What is the goal of your faith? What is the purpose of your faith as you put your faith, as you believe in the Jesus whom you have never physically seen, never laid eyes upon him? What is the outcome? It is the salvation of your souls. You are believing in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you put your faith in him, the goal, the outcome will be one day we shall be fully, finally, completely saved. No longer dealing with sin in our life. Now hear me, that's good news. Why is that good news? Because here's what it means. Your greatest need has already been provided for. Your greatest need has already been secured for you in Jesus Christ. He says, obtaining the salvation of your souls. You have already been saved. Saved from the penalty of sin. Saved from the power of sin. One day we will be saved from the presence of sin. That salvation will be final, but it's already yours now. You can walk in this hope. So let me ask you this question. What's your greatest need? What is your greatest need? We can begin to tick off some of our, oh, we need, we need the air that we breathe, we need food, we need water, I need this in my marriage, or I need this right now in my kid's life. We have all of these needs, but what is your greatest need? Hear me, it is to know and be with Jesus. That's your greatest need. It's Jesus, He is your greatest need. It is to be saved from your sins. It is to receive forgiveness of your sins. It is to have your shame and your guilt and your broken mess that you are to be completely restored into this beautiful treasure that only Jesus Christ can do in our lives. It's to be given life. It's to be made right with God. This is your greatest need. And hear me, Christ has met your greatest need. So we love him. We Keep believing in Him. We are awaiting for our home home going when all of this will be a reality and will be ours. Which means what? If we know that Christ has met our greatest need, what does Peter say? Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. And, and this and is so humongous, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, And filled with glory. Inexpressible describes a joy so profound as to be beyond the power of words to express. Like it's to be so overcome that there are no words to express. Now, when you're around an introvert and they're quiet, that's not shocking. But when you're around somebody who talks all the time and they say, I'm left speechless, you're like, what? For real? Like You have nothing to say right now? Like You are so overcome with joy that you don't have words to express it. To to be filled with glory, your joy is filled with glory because Christ is the glorious one. He's the glorious one, and Christ indwells you, and so you are filled with glory. So let me ask you a question. If you were in prayer meeting on Wednesday night, you knew this question was coming. What would it be like to wake up every morning with inexpressible and glorious joy what would it be like to wake up every morning when you are so overcome with joy that it is inexpressible and filled with glory now if we are honest that is not the experience of our life i shared very honestly wednesday night these last 10 days have been incredible but it been some hard days And I would love to say to you that in this adjustment period, every second has been filled with joy, an indescribable joy. And if I said that to you, I would be lying. Some of you would say, Pastor, I don't know what that's like, to wake up every morning overcome with joy. So here's the question. Is that even a possibility? Is it a possibility that you could get to a place in your life Where every morning, though your circumstances may not be what you want them to be, you can still put your feet on the floor with this inexpressible and glorious joy. Is it possible? And the answer is a resounding yes. Why? Because Peter tells us so. This is the word of God, and it says, though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you what? You are rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And how can we live that life? Because Christ has provided for our greatest need. Everything you need for life and godliness is found in Christ. So you can walk in this joy-filled life. Yet for many of us, if we're honest, our life... Is an emotional roller coaster. Man, today I'm walking in this joy, and then boom, something happens, and just like that, we're in the pits. We're down, we're discouraged, we're depressed, we're frustrated, we feel beaten up. We're up and we're down, and our joy seems to come and to go. So let me ask you a diagnostic question because I really want you to begin to look into your heart and life because until you see something, you can't begin to see change. If I were to ask you, Is your life characterized by joy? I wouldn't ask you that. Because we're not honest evaluators of ourselves. Either we're too hard on ourselves or we're not hard enough. But what if I went to the person who knows you best? I went to your spouse, your husband, your wife. I went to your children. I went to your boss. I went to your next door neighbor. I went to your deacon, your Sunday school teacher. And I said, hey, I want to ask you about so-and-so. And if you went to my wife or my kids and you asked them, hey, I want to ask you about Pastor Aaron. Is his life characterized by joy or one of complaining, grumbling, and discontent? How would the person who knows you best answer that question? And the reality is, if we would let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, we would let the peace of Christ begin to rule in our hearts. We would begin to find ourselves being characterized by joy. Now, that's a process. You're not going to probably get there tomorrow where you're always filled with joy. But they would begin to say, hey, I'm seeing this change in them. Is they're marked by joy? Because Peter is saying, brothers and sisters, remember who you are. Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember what Christ has given to you. And when you meditate upon those things and not the problems of the world, you will rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. It's yours. It's yours. It's available to you right now. Peter says, this is our salvation. Rejoice in it. But then he says in verse 10, concerning this salvation... He just spoke of the salvation, now he wants to talk about it some more. And here's what else I think he wants his readers to know. So we're going to work through these verses, and I'm going to apply it to you. I think he wants his readers to know that in addition to who they are, what they've been given, what Christ has done for them, they are in a privileged position. Because they have received the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verses 10-12 through are rich. And here's what what I want you to notice. It'll be on the screen, and we'll unpack this verse by verse. I want you to notice the continuity between what has been foretold in the Old Testament, what had been realized in the life of Christ, and what has been preached in the gospel. There's this continuity, and I want to show you this. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Peter is saying, you have received this grace. He said it in chapter 1, verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. In chapter 5, verse 12, as he's wrapping up the letter, he says, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. This grace of God, this salvation that has come to us, that is now yours, was foretold in the old testament he says concerning this salvation the prophets who prophesied when you start thinking about prophets who comes to mind maybe you think of daniel or jeremiah or ezekiel or isaiah uh, malachi nahum one of the one of the minor prophets there's prophets in the old testament and what are they doing peter says they're prophesying now prophets had two main ministries they had the ministry of forth telling the, the Spirit of God, as we'll see in a moment, would come upon them, and they would, thus saith, not me, not thus saith Isaiah, but thus saith the Lord. The Lord has given me this message, and I'm proclaiming this message. It was a message of forthtelling, but it was also a ministry of foretelling. Prophets would make prophecy. They would make predictions of future events. So Peter says these prophets who prophesied, they're prophesying about the grace that was to be yours. What did they do? They searched and inquired carefully. The prophets prophesied about the coming Messiah, the anointed one. Hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to or directing people to the coming Messiah. So what did these prophets do? They searched and inquired as to what? Verse 11. What person or time or what manner of time? So these prophets knew Spirit of God comes upon them. They knew they were making predictions about the coming anointed one, the Messiah. But the prophets didn't know everything. So what would they do? They would search. They would inquire. They would want to know more. Who would the Messiah be? They didn't know. They knew the Messiah would be born of a virgin, but they didn't know the Messiah's name. They didn't know it would be Jesus. Right? They didn't know these things. So they searched and they... Inquired and Peter continues inquiring what person or time this is so important the spirit of Christ in them. We know privileged position through death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you give your faith, your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells you. You're indwelt with the spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, not every person was indwelt with the spirit. The spirit would come upon individuals in a mighty way, for example, would come upon these prophets. He would speak to the prophets, and in the prophets would reveal the Word of God. They would speak these prophecies. And so what does he say? The Spirit of Christ in them, this is key, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So let's continue in our phrase. That which had been foretold in the Old Testament is now realized in the life of Of Jesus Christ. So I was watching Skip Isaac preach on these verses, and he gave a really helpful illustration that helped me, and hopefully it will help you. He said, Imagine that every prophecy an Old Testament prophet made, imagine it was an arrow. So every prophet, every prophecy, right, that arrow is shot up in the air, and they're shooting up hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament. Now, for them, as they're shooting the prophecy in the air, they do not know where that prophecy is going to land. Just imagine they're shooting it over a hillside and they can't see. And so it's shot up in the air and then it's landing somewhere. So if you're reading from Genesis and you start reading through Malachi and all you read is the Old Testament, you're seeing all these prophecies about the Messiah, the Christ, and you have no idea where they're going to land. They're just being shot up about his suffering, about his glories, about his birth, where he's going to be born, where he will come from. It's all going in the air, but they have no idea where it's going to land. Then you step into the New Testament, and you begin to see where every prophecy lands. Every arrow shot up in the Old Testament lands on the same person, and his name is Jesus the Christ. Everything is pointing to Jesus. So when you get to the New Testament, again, I thought this was so helpful, you begin to see where the arrows are landing. But if all you have is the New Testament... Like you're a new believer, and we encourage new believers to start maybe the Gospel of John or or, or the letter of John or 1 Peter. You're reading it, and you're thinking, here's all these arrows, but where'd they come from? Where'd they come from? Well, how do you know where they came from? You go back to the Old Testament, and you're like, oh, yeah, Isaiah predicted that. He shot that arrow of prophecy in the air, and now I see where it is in Christ. So consider for a moment the death of Jesus let's say all you have is the gospel of john you're reading the gospel of john and you're starting right about about in the beginning was the word the word with god and you just continue and you're you're amazed at this jesus and all that he can do and then suddenly you've never read it before out of nowhere you come to his death and you're like well that was tragic what an accident like this Can't be possible, right? All that Jesus had done and now it's going to end with his death. If you don't have the Old Testament, it would be easier to conclude that the death of Jesus the Christ was a tragic mistake or an accident. But if you know the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, for example, you will not come to the conclusion that Jesus' death was an accident or a mistake, but rather it was a necessity that had long been foretold. You were, everything was leading to this moment of Jesus' death and then subsequent glories. Consider Jesus' own words. In Luke 24, the resurrected Christ is speaking to his disciples. And then he says, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is like, yeah, it was all about me. It's all pointing to me. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The Old Testament, Jesus is calling it Scripture. So the Scriptures, and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. There's continuity. There's continuity here. And then he continues, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. Did the prophets benefit from some of these prophecies, from the Spirit of God coming upon them? Yes. But Peter says ultimately what they're doing is they were serving you and not themselves themselves how so in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven so let's continue this statement that which had been foretold in the old testament was realized in the life of christ and was preached in the gospel it was preached to them in the gospel notice how was it preached by the holy spirit The Spirit of Christ in the Old Testament is the same Holy Spirit announcing the gospel in the New Testament. The same Spirit that empowered the prophets now empowers the apostles as they preach the good news. Thomas Schreiner says, The salvation believers experience now, which will be consummated in the future, was also prophesied in the past. Understand, Peter's readers lived in a privileged position. They knew what the prophets searched and inquired and longed to know. Who's going to fulfill these prophecies? And now Peter's readers know it's Jesus. They had heard the gospel and they were saved. It's a privileged position. And then he says this, things into which angels long to look. We love to talk about angels and talk about what angels might be doing, but hear me. There is no redemption for fallen angels. There is no opportunity for a fallen angel who rebelled against God along with Satan to be restored and forgiven. There's no option for that. And the angels who are in the presence of God serving God don't need redemption. Because if they weren't holy, they couldn't be in the presence of God. So they don't need redemption. And so he says, these angels long to look into the things that are now yours. They're interested in grace and salvation. Luke 15, 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let me tell you, when an angel is looking into this story of redemption, and this angel sees somebody who is lost in a broken mess and dead in sin and guilt and shame overwhelms them and they've wandered far from God, and that angel sees God by his grace reach down into their life and to take this broken mess of a person and transform it into a masterpiece to save them, restore them, redeem them. What do the angels do? Wow, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. No, they rejoice when one lost sinner is saved. Because they long to know more about this. Old oh, church. Angels rejoice, do we? Do we rejoice when one lost person comes to faith in Christ? When one life is transformed, are we rejoicing as the angels? Why? Because we know the blessing of salvation. So let me conclude this. Let me land the plane. If I conclude, I mean still about another five to seven minutes. But we're going to start landing the plane here. I want to apply it to you. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know who you are. Peter wants you to know who you are. I want you to know what you've been given I want you to know what Christ has done for you. But hear me, as we live in a hostile world, as we live in a hard world filled with suffering, you and I need to understand that we live in a privileged time. We have opportunities that generations before us didn't have. Look, were there some positive things about me growing up in the 80s and the 90s? Is part of me long to kind of go back to a simpler time? Does some of you probably long to go back to simpler times? Maybe we do. But you and I need to understand that we have opportunities and privileges that people before us have never had. So I've talked about the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me talk for a couple minutes about the accessibility to God's Word that you and I have. Brothers and sisters, it wasn't that long ago. That people did not have their own copy of God's word. Go back four, five hundred years, right? You got to go back to the printing press, go back to the Reformation, go back to Wycliffe and Tyndale as the Bible began to be translated into English. There was a time, majority of this world's existence of our time on the planet, that people did not have access to God's Word. They didn't have it in their possession. And if they could get a hold of a part of a manuscript, more than likely it wasn't in a language they could understand. So those people can stand before God, and when God says, did you ever read my word the scriptures, they're going to be able to say, no, I never saw it. I never had access to it. I couldn't read it in my language. My priest never preached on it. Thankfully, for the Reformation, right? There began to be this holy desire to come back to God's Word. And now, today, in 2023, thanks to the printing press, thanks to the advancement of technology, thanks to the advancement of travel and the postal system, we have access to God's inerrant, inspired, authoritative, sufficient, necessary Word of God that many people and generations simply never had you have hard copies of god's word hard copies you can hold it feel it smell it and you probably got more than one you have them in multiple translations you have them in language that you can understand but you can read this you can read god's word spoken to you you can understand it but not only can we hold it we can access it electronically and you can have commentaries just at your fingertips and bible studies and and all of this stuff to give you the wealth of knowledge about god's word but let's go beyond that today in 2023 you can transport god's word quicker than ever before So you could right now, if a ticket is available, because I've made this flight twice, you could right now leave to go to the airport, you could get on an airplane, you can fly to Quito, Ecuador, you'll be there probably about 8.30 p.m. tonight, I think, Mark, is what the time was. You can stay overnight in a really nice holiday inn, hang out in the jacuzzi if you want for a little bit, and then tomorrow morning somebody could pick you up at the airport, drive you five and a half hours to Esmeraldas, Ecuador. You can sit down with the Afro-Ecuadorian people who have little to no access to the gospel where they are. You, when you go, can take a copy of God's word in their language, hand it to them, and they can read it. But here's the deal, many of those adults can't even read it. So you can, as we have done and I have seen it, you can take audio Bibles you can place an audio Bible in their hand and at a click of a button it can read the gospel of John to them in their language and they can be saved. You have access not only to God's word but to take God's word to the ends of the earth and there are people even right now who would give anything to have one of these in their hands. And yet we have a plethora please understand just how blessed we are to hold precious in our hands and in our heart God's word because we have access to God's word. So let me ask you a pressing question. What are you going to do with God's word? What are you going to do with it? God has spoken to you right here. He has revealed himself to you. Now you can take God's word. You can put it as a little centerpiece on your coffee table. You can leave it on your shelves. You can allow it to collect dust. Or, or, You can say, God, I'm going to get in your word. And you can start with one verse at a time, five verses at a time. You can start reading chapters at a time. You can open God's word and you can say, God, I just want to read it. I just want to know it. I want to meditate upon it. I want to memorize it. God, I want to get in your word. But more than that, I want your word to get in me. And I want to be captivated by you and your word. See, brothers and sisters, you and I live in a privileged time. None of us in this room can stand before God and say, oh, God, I didn't have access to your word not going to fly because god can say what about the hundreds of copies why don't you just get in your car and drive to walmart why did not you just order one on amazon they get it to you the same day or the next day like you had access to my word but let me let me convict us a little bit more and please understand when i try to preach i always first try to look at my own heart because if i'm going to ask you to be obedient then i have to first be obedient so not only do we have accessibility to god's word but hear me we have heard the gospel proclaimed to us That's what Peter says. You have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. You have received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not everyone can say that. And here's the fascinating thing. Here's the fascinating thing about where we are in 2023. Though we have more access than ever to God's word, I think what we're finding even in our own country is more and more people have never heard it. More and more kids are growing up in homes where they have never read the Bible, don't know how to pray, don't know anything about church, don't know anything about Jesus. More and more around us, our mission field is growing. But not only that, there are people like the Afro-Ecuadorians and many people around the world who have little to no access to the gospel. I've said this multiple times. I will never forget that night in Japan, walking down the street, talking to a young man who was in his 20s, who grew up in Japan for the first 18 years of his life and never heard the name Jesus. He had to come to university in America to hear the name Jesus, and he was saved. And he went back to Japan because he wanted his people, his loved ones, to hear the name of Jesus you could have been born in a remote village where you never knew of the saving grace of jesus where your life was a constant roller coaster and nobody ever told you that only jesus can fix that a joyless life that only jesus can give you joy a hopeless life that only jesus can give you hope and here we are in 2023 and you have heard the gospel not only have you heard it, for the majority of us, it has saved us and changed us and transformed us. We're not the same. We're not where we want to be, but we're not the same. And so here's the question What are you going to do with the gospel? What are you going to do with the good news that has saved and transformed you? Because you've got coworkers who don't know the gospel. You've got kids on your soccer team that don't know the gospel, you know neighbors who don't know the gospel. Like we have the good news of Jesus Christ, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. What are we going to do with the gospel? The reality is we need the Spirit of God just to move in this place and in our hearts. We need to be reminded every single day of who we are in Christ, what we've been given, what He has done for us, and the privilege that we have to live when we do. And more and more every day, we just need to say, Spirit of the living God, transform me because I want to know you, and I want your word to get in me. So hear me. There's a lot that we could complain about. There's a lot of reasons that may take us down into the depths, but only Jesus Christ can raise us up from it. And if our eyes are on him, it is not only possible, but I believe it likely that you and I can walk in this inexpressible and glorious joy because of Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus? Are you walking in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you love him? And is that evident in your life? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the written word of God. It is living. And it is active. And oh God, it cuts. It cuts into the deepest parts of our heart, into our life. It doesn't leave us the same it changes us and so lord as your word has been preached as your word has been proclaimed maybe there's an unbeliever here who does not believe and does not love you but has rebelled against you i pray that the truth of your grace of your salvation of of the hope that is found in jesus would just take hold of them and they would confess their sins turn from their sins and confess that jesus you are the christ the son of the living god the bible says if anybody who calls upon the name of the lord will be saved Father, for the brother or sister in Christ who is, Lord, going through some hard things, could be with work, could be in their marriage, could be in their home life, could be with aging health, could be with sickness, Lord, whatever it may be, could be just battling sin in our flesh. Lord, if we allow it, all of those things can take our focus off of you, Jesus. So this morning, we just want to be reminded, God, of your promises. And we want to bring those things to you. We don't want to run from you. We want to run to you, our Father, and place those at your feet and just cry out for help. Sustain us. Give us that joy that we are lacking, a joy that is not found in a a spouse, a joy that is not found in our past, a joy that is not found in our children or in our job or in the circumstances of life, but a joy that is found in the rock, Jesus Christ, an inexpressible and glorious joy help us oh jesus and then impress upon our hearts the need to take your word to put it in our life and to take the very gospel that has saved us and live sent and proclaim it to the ends of the earth so father as we sing this song as we are reminded that jesus you paid it all that all to you i owe you are worthy of our praise and of our adoration oh god Convict our hearts. But then oh Jesus, restore us. Restore us into a sweet, right relationship with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, would you stand? Let's worship together. The altar is open if you want to come and pray. I
0: hear the. Singing.
1: Seated for just a moment. Let's go over some important announcements. Um, Wednesday Bible study resumes this Wednesday. That information is there in the bulletin, so just want you to be aware of that. There's an announcement about our Thanksgiving lunch. Again, that information's there, but see Robin if you want to bring a dessert or if you have any questions. Our worldview weekend is next weekend. It starts Saturday with the upward um, award ceremony and then continues Saturday evening and then Sunday morning and Sunday night. So please come uh, support. Again, I mentioned this last week. It's, It's absolutely vital that we have a proper worldview, the way that we understand the world. And that has to be grounded in scripture. So we want you to be part of that. There's information in there about how you can help Casas Por Cristo, how you can give, that we can live sent, and share the gospel and make a difference in um, people's lives. And then lastly, our fall festival. Anybody excited about our fall festival tonight? <laughs> excited about some chili, right, and just hanging out, even though it's not going to be chilly outside. It's going to be in the 80s, still come and eat chili. All right, so listen up. Number one, we still need help. If you're willing to serve Awana workers, if you're willing to come and just serve at a station, love on kids, please come be here by 5. Um, if you have signed up to do a trunk, whether you're doing a, a, a trunk with games or not games, you, you need to be here by 5 and parked in your spot. And then if you pulled the tags to bring items for the cakewalk, you need to be here at 5. So basically, just be here at 5. If you are serving, helping, bringing items, they, they have to be here by 5. So that we are ready, Um, we have put this on Facebook, it's on the sign, we are inviting our community to come on to our campus. And when we invite them to our campus, we want to make sure that we are prepared and ready to minister to them and serve them and to love on them. So please be here uh, for that. We're going to dismiss, as we've done the last couple weeks, by reading from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Pastor Gary will be in the foyer shaking hands. After the service, I'm going to stay up front for a few minutes. This is something Gary and I are going to start rotating to do. If you have a prayer need, if you just need somebody to pray for you, I'm available. For the next five to ten minutes, just come see me. Just say, Pastor, can you pray for me? This is what's going on, and I would love to pray for you right here um, at the altar. So if you'll stand, let's be dismissed by reading from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them...